Man, good morning. Uh, we were louder than that. Just to say good morning. Uh, man, uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's like a train over there. Um, so excited to be here this morning. So excited about this word. If you got your Bible, you can go to John 8. Um, man, I love uh, when God does what he just did. Um, he just steps into the room and he takes what we thought was going to be like a pretty cool song set into the throne room of heaven, and we just get to worship him for just a moment. And man, I know that some of the things that, that we just experienced maybe have grown out of style. Um, I grew up in, in church, and I remember like at an early age, um, some of the older people in the room every once in a while would get excited and they would shout. Um, and uh, you don't hear that much anymore. It's not as cool anymore, I guess. But man, isn't it good? So I feel like sometimes we're just like that tea kettle, right? And you're just like, you're just so full of what God's doing in that moment. Like it's got to go somewhere. And uh, that's, that's to me what, what that is. And man, I hope that never goes out of style. Uh, actually, we should bring that back. There's a lot of things maybe we should leave back there, but that's one thing that we can bring back. Um, and uh, man, to look around the room and, and see this. Man, you better get comfortable with that because there's going to be a lot of that in heaven. Um, I don't want to, like, figure out how to grow my arm muscles when I get there, right? Um, man, there's just something about worship and something about um, just saying that he's worthy. And the, the reality today is, I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this because this is just coming out, um, worship can't just be contained in here. That's That's true. At some point in time, right, there's going to be so much pressure <laughs> if you're really worshiping that builds up in you. It's going to come out somewhere. And here's the reality today. He is worthy of our worship. And this may be weird and it may feel uncomfortable, but isn't God worth this? He's worth us being a little uncomfortable, shouting, it may be weird and uncomfortable, but God isn't God worthy of, of a little bit of weird and uncomfortable? See, the reality of it is some of the things we would, we would do, some people that maybe didn't know Jesus would walk in here and they would say, that, that's, that's really strange, and maybe they would be a little weirded out by that, but I'm going to let you know what changed my life was seeing people worship. Seeing people that really looked like they believed what they were singing, see the the, the, the danger we run into is we come in this room and we sing words like, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. He's worthy. He's great. But our faces don't show that message and our hands don't show that message. And people walk in this room may see that we're singing those words, but we don't actually mean those words. That's the danger today. But man, when the gospel grips our heart and we see who Jesus is and what he's done and that boils over, man, that's the thing that will change people that walk in the room. They really believe what they say they believe and they are singing it today. And that will move people to curiosity and curiosity will move people to the gospel and the gospel will change hearts and lives forever. I've seen it and I've experienced it. So I just want to encourage us today. Maybe to not forget that he's worthy, but then also to step out into an uncomfortable place to show him. And sometimes maybe just lift a shout of praise. Sometimes we just, we started singing our own song earlier today. And some of you guys, I could hear you up here. And it was amazing just to hear your heart for God. He's so worthy. 
And it's not a show, and it's not for anybody but him. But, man, here's the reality. There's people watching no matter what you do. So we might as well point him to somebody who's worthy today. Well, that's for free. I don't know where that came from. Um, but it's still true. Um, this morning, we're going to be in, in John chapter 8. I think I may have said that already. If not, you got a head start. But um, the few, past few weeks, we've been talking about forgiveness. Man. Thunderous applause. That was awesome. Uh, we were excited about forgiveness. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been talking about forgiveness. We've been in this series. I actually named it something and then said the wrong name last week on stage. So it's going to be Unchained, even though that's not what the name of the series was. It's fine. We didn't make a graphic or anything, I don't think, maybe, hopefully. Uh, but it's uh, Unchained. We've been talking about forgiveness and how really that's God's intent for us as forgiven people to be forgiving people. I know when I say that, there's so many of us that we, we're already like listing the people and the reasons we can't forgive those people and what they've done and, and all that stuff. And, and I'll just say, like, I'm with you. That's natural. That's a natural thing. Forgiveness is actually like the unnatural thing. Actually, if it wasn't for Jesus on the cross, we wouldn't even really know what forgiveness looked like because in our human nature, we are not forgiving people. We don't want to forgive <laughs> But what Jesus did through the cross is he showed us this example of forgiveness, and now we can follow his example of forgiveness into, A, being forgiven, but also forgiving others. That's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. See, the reality of it is for a lot of us that are dealing with anger and and maybe even hatred or frustration towards somebody, A, they don't know, and if they've already hurt you, they probably don't care. And what we end up doing is, is we, we shackle ourselves to this moment in our life, this situation. We, we chain ourselves down to this thing. And, and what we think we're doing is we're chaining these other people, these people that we're angry at or mad at. We think we're like holding them in this moment. But the reality is for so many of them, they've already left that moment. And what we end up is chained prisoners to that moment ourselves. And the gospel invites us to forgive and to unchain ourselves to free ourselves from those moments and to live. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in John 8. And as we get into this, maybe some of you are going to think that's an unusual story for the topic, but it's a story that God's been pressing on my heart all week, and I'm going to trust His power and ability beyond mine today. John, or the Gospel of John, is a narrative of Jesus' life written by a man named John. John the Son of Zebedee, if you maybe you're familiar with the disciples, John the disciple Jesus loved. This is the guy that wrote this book. And for a lot of these things, he was actually there. These are eyewitness accounts of the, the, the life and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus written down by a guy who was actually standing there watching these things take place. And I think that's so amazing. This isn't hearsay or some story passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down that became this big thing. It's It's... An eyewitness account from a man named John who saw Jesus do amazing, miraculous works. And in 8, we get into the story. If you have um, super titles up there, it says, In mine, an adulteress forgiven. Maybe some of you, a woman caught in adultery. Depending on your translation, the woman can be the forgiven woman or the bad woman, I guess, in the, in the super titles there. But what we see is Jesus is in... Uh, Jerusalem in this moment he's been teaching the day before in in town and he's went away and he's kind of spent the night up on um, the Mount of Olives it says in verse 1 
look at the verse 2, and the night apparently went pretty quickly. It says that at dawn, very early in the morning, Jesus is apparently a morning person. We see a lot of times he's waking up to go pray or waking up to go do something early. So if you want to be more like Jesus, be a morning person. Uh, that's hard for me, so something to work on this week. But it says at dawn, he went to the, he being Jesus, went to the temple complex or the area of the temple inside the walls of the temple. And as he was there... He went to the temple complex again, and as he was there, all the people were coming to him. Now, I don't think this is all the people in Jerusalem. I think it's probably all the people in the temple complex. As people saw Jesus enter, these people came, and they started to surround Jesus. This is something that we see frequently if you've followed Jesus in very many stories. Every time Jesus shows up in a town or a city or a place, there's these people that kind of come to meet Jesus. And they're usually either looking for healing or him to teach or maybe him to heal somebody else. We see that a lot. Jesus is actually a pretty popular guy. Maybe you wouldn't believe that in our time today, but as you see in the Bible, when Jesus was walking around, people always showed up to see Jesus. Jesus could do amazing things, still can do amazing things. He, he was always healing somebody. It's, there's some amazing stories in here, people that have never seen before. Jesus opens their eyes, people that have never walked before. Jesus, with a few words, says, get up and walk, and they do. Jesus even a few times walked up to somebody who was dead, and he spoke into that, and they got up from dead. Like, that's pretty amazing. Jesus did amazing things, and people came to see amazing things. We see a lot of times Jesus not only doing miracles and healing, but we see a few times that he takes just a few pieces of fish and a couple pieces of bread, and he feeds thousands of people. We see Jesus teaches like nobody's ever taught before. Even the temple guards in chapter 7 say that about him as they come before the Sanhedrin. So when Jesus shows up, people come to see Jesus, and he showed up in the temple complex. He doesn't say why he's there. Maybe he came to teach. Maybe he came to pray. Maybe he came to sightsee. We don't really know, but he came to the temple complex, and when he came to the temple complex, people started coming to him, and they wanted to hear him teach. So what did Jesus do? It says he sat down, and he began to teach them. He sat down and began to teach. Maybe something sounds weird about this. In our culture, usually we see teachers standing in the front of a room or a stage and everybody else is sitting. But in this culture, if you were going to teach, you would sit down. That's the posture of teaching. And Jesus sat down to teach these people. And it says in verse 3, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And the scribes were religious leaders who were tasked with the job of sitting down and writing out over and over and over and over again what we would know as the Old Testament, the, the first few books of the Bible. They would have been people that knew the Scripture well because they write it over and over and over again. If you've ever heard maybe somebody say taking notes is a good idea or seeing somebody take notes, it's because there's evidence that if you write something that you remember something. Right? That's why we encourage people to take notes sometimes at church. It's, it's one of those things where if you write it, you'll remember it. If you hear it, maybe not. If you see it, maybe not. But if you write it, you'll remember it. And these people wrote the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over again. So they had a great knowledge of the law and the Scripture. And then we see the Pharisees, who are religious leaders of the day, but they were more in the, in the teaching area of things. They would have disciples, kind of like Jesus had disciples, and they would train people to be more Pharisees. And, and if you were a Sadducee, you'd train people to be Sadducees. Two different schools of thought, but both teachers of the Old Testament. These were the religious leaders of the day. Anytime you see these guys enter the story, or most times anyway, they're not uh, the hero of the story. 
the religious people in the Bible are not the best people in the Bible. Usually there's God and then everybody else, and some of those people look better or dress better or maybe slightly more moral in certain visible areas, but not the hero of the Bible. And we see that here these scribes and these Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus, and this woman was caught in adultery not accused of adultery, or uh, maybe we think she might be committing adultery, but this lady was like actually caught in the act of adultery. I don't know how this goes down, and we won't get into my imagination because it's like more of like a Pharisee squat, SWAT team like coming through, kicking down the door, and like there they are uh, with a camera, and that's, that, I'm crazy, sorry. I don't know how you're caught in adultery, but like they saw it. It was happening. This is not an accusation that can be defended. This is not a thought that, that can be maybe, maybe flipped. This, is, this lady was caught in adultery. And it says they brought this lady to Jesus and they made her stand in the center. And I don't know exactly what this looks like, but I would imagine Jesus sitting teaching the people around. And they bring the lady and put her in the middle of the circle. Probably not a place you want to be. Probably would have been uncomfortable in the temple as a woman caught in adultery, let alone standing in the middle of this teaching circle. And, and they said to him, teacher, it's a rabbi would have been the word they used, a term of respect. But if you look at chapter 7, these men were not men that respected Jesus. Um, teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. We saw it happen. It's not a maybe, it's not a might have, like she was caught committing adultery. And then they go on, here's the accusation, and then they go on to, to maybe share some Bible stories in verse 5. In the, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Statement, true statement. If you go look in the Old Testament, that's, that's there. These were scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law and writers of the law. Like they, they knew this. But they do something really weird here. This is they say to Jesus, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? What's your opinion? This is like a weird turn in the story because... These men don't need Jesus' opinion on what the Word of God says. These men don't view Jesus as the Son of God. If you look back in 7, they're actually looking for a way to, to deal with the Jesus problem. And they ask the temple guards, why haven't you already arrested this guy? See, to them, Jesus is the son of a carpenter and a homeless man who's coming into the temple and, and attracting their crowds and their people and taking their attention. It's, it's about them. They, they don't want Jesus to be doing what Jesus is doing because, after all, Jesus has not went to school to be some kind of rabbi or teacher. He's just some guy that walked in the room, and everybody wants to hear him teach, and nobody wants to hear them teach, and there's some jealousy that's, that's risen up in those moments. So they bring this lady in before Jesus, and they, and they put this lady in the center kind of as a spectacle. And they, they look at Jesus and they say, here's what the law says. What do you think? Now, if the Bible says something clearly, let's just be honest. We don't have to worry about what some teacher thinks about what the Bible says. Right? 
If it's clear, if it's black and white, if it's on the page, like, like there's, there should never be a part of us knowing the Word of God that walks up to somebody who a preacher, teacher, evangelist, respected church leader, and say, hey, uh, this is what it says. Do you think it means that? They weren't asking this because they thought Jesus was the Son of God. They were asking this for a reason, and that reason was to trap Jesus. Can we just also realize that there is a lady who's about to get hurt in the story that these men care absolutely nothing about? This isn't about this lady. This is about trapping Jesus. The next verse even says that. They don't care about this lady's sin. They are not worried about this lady's sin. They're not even worried about what the Bible says about this lady's sin. They are trying to hurt Jesus. And they're going to use this lady as a battering ram to do so. See, what's happening here is, is we see these men who are willing to hurt somebody for their own advantage. This lady is possibly in this moment going to be killed, and they don't care about this lady. They don't care about her sin. She's just some sinner they picked up off the street. And, and here's the real question. How do you catch somebody in adultery? Are they just walking down the road, kicking open doors, seeing what they can find? Or did maybe they know on the front end this woman is an adulterer? They've been allowing this to go on for who knows how long. The rumors have been there. They've known it. They just haven't cared. And now in this moment, here's this lady who's convenient. And now they're going to use this lady to try to hurt Jesus. It's not about this lady. Actually, most of the time that we're hurt by people, I would even say all the time that we're hurt by people, it has nothing to do with us has nothing to do with us. We're just caught up in something else. People are going to hurt us, and it's not going to have anything to do with us. The Bible's even clear about it, right? Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against each other. People that talk about us or hurt us and run us down, like it's not, it's not about us. If something's been done to hurt you, it's, it's not about you. It's broken people using people. And these men are broken people. I'm just going to remind you, the woman is also a broken people. I'm also going to remind you that I'm a broken people. And I'm also going to remind you that you're a broken people. You've been hurt as a broken person, and you have hurt people as a broken person. And you know, like I know, it's never about the person. It's just a means to an end to get what you want or what they wanted. And here we see this playing out in this story. These women bring, or these men bring this Jesus, this woman, and they say, Hey, I know what the Bible says, but what do you think? It even says, right, like they ask this in order to trap him, in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. It has nothing to do with the woman. They ask this question because they're hoping for one of two results. They think that Jesus will either side with them, which would, you know, affirm the Bible, which is good. If he's going to be the Son of God, he better believe the Word of God, right? Like, um, he would either affirm the Bible, and then he's just like them. He's identified with them. He, he's a person just like them, and he's not really needing the crowds. Maybe all the mercy and the grace stuff and the salvation stuff, it can quit because now Jesus is going to stone people. Or Jesus will say, I don't think God really meant that, in which case he's a heretic and he doesn't believe the word of God. 
See, they're looking at it like it's this black and white situation of Jesus is either going to agree with us and then become like us, or he's going to disagree with us and we can have him killed. Either way, we win. Either way, the Jesus problem is solved. So Jesus stoops down. He does this really strange thing. He doesn't answer them right back. He doesn't say, hey, kill her, don't kill her. He doesn't say any of that stuff. It says he stooped down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. Can you imagine the scene? Like here's Jesus and here's this woman and here's all this crowd and here's the Pharisees and the scribes and they're like, hey, what do you say? And then Jesus is just like, and starts doodling on the ground. Can you imagine, like, if you were one of those Pharisees, you'd be like, we got him. Yes. Turn around, like, high-five one of the scribes. Got him now, brother. That was easy. We're not, even very few, we're not even very many chapters in, and we already got him. Like, It's just weird, right? Like, if we're having a conversation, and you just drop to the ground and start writing, I'm probably going to be like, well, that was weird, and I'm going to walk off. Um, but in this moment, they see this, and, and they think, man, we've, we've got him. Again, we've all, he's only got two answers in their brain. Like, he's either going to be like us, or he's going to disagree with the Word of God, and we can't see another outcome here. And, and, and he stoops down, and he starts writing, and, and, and they've got to be thinking, we've got him. But isn't it amazing? Like, the Bible doesn't say what he's writing. It doesn't say what he's doing. Like, he's literally probably just stalling right here. Not for him, but for them. Jesus, before he ever stepped out of heaven, knew this conversation was going to take place, and he had prepared an answer, I can guarantee it. He didn't need time as he doodled on the ground. And it doesn't say what he's writing, although I've heard messages preached on it somehow. Because it doesn't matter what he's writing. He's given these guys time, because in this time, these guys are going to show their motivation. When Jesus stoops down to start writing, that kind of hope wells up in their heart and they start taunting Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, what do you think? Oh, you don't have an answer? Are you going to write it for us? Just draw us a picture of the answer. What are, you, what are you doing? Do you not know what to say, Jesus? Come on, we're waiting, right? Like did somebody's humming the Jeopardy theme song back here in the back. Like this is what's going on and these guys think they've trapped Jesus and in their pride... that begins to show in these moments that's the real root of the problem here. Because it's not about Jesus, and it's not about this woman, it's about them. He's taking our crowds, he's, he's taking our attention. We want power, and Jesus has power. We want popularity, and Jesus has popularity. He's got the thing that we want, and we will crush him and anybody else that gets in our way. says they persisted in questioning him, which is a horrible idea, because eventually it says he stood up. Just let him go right long enough to look dumb when he actually stands up and gives them an answer. It says he stood up, and in that moment he answered them. And this is what he says. The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. 
wow. That's, that's his answer. The one without sin among you, go first. We did not see that coming. Right? He's either going to agree or he's going to disagree. What does Jesus do? He doesn't say sin's not a big deal. Sin is a big deal. He doesn't say God doesn't mean what he says. Because God does mean what he says. Every single word, there's none of it that was meant to people thousands of years ago. That's not meant to people like us today. He means every single word that he says and none of that's changed. He's not softened his stance or his opinion. He's still God. He meant it yesterday. He means it today. 2,000 years from now, he will still mean it. God doesn't change his mind because God doesn't change. God doesn't sweep this under the rug. He just simply reframes what's happening here. And he looks at these men and he says, that is a wonderful idea. She is a sinner. There's no defending that. She was, in fact, caught in adultery, and God does, in fact, say, kill those people. And as a reward today, whoever is perfect out there, why don't you go first? You notice Jesus doesn't even say only perfect people can throw stones. He just says, the perfect one, go first. Somebody out there who's never messed up, who's never sinned, who's never failed, who's never even thought about failing, as a reward today, you get to throw the first stone. We did not see that coming. You look at the story, what happens next. I don't even have to look at it. I've read it a few times. This is one by one, these men started walking away, starting with the older men. Jesus reframes it. He says, whoever's perfect, you go first. And after maybe thinking about it for a moment and reflecting and going back over our sins... these men begin to realize they are not so different from this lady. They bring the lady, they push her to the center, and they say, she's a sinner, let's kill her. She's a sinner, let's ruin her life. She's a sinner, let's knock her down. She's a sinner, let's wipe her out. And Jesus says, great idea. We should, in fact, do that to all the sinners. Anybody brave enough to take this stone? Anybody out there that think, that think you've never messed up? You go first. And the reality of what Jesus is doing here is he's saying there's nobody around here that can pick up a stone and chuck it at anybody else because we are everyone sinners. See, they've decided that adultery is worse than the pride in their own heart. 
But really, pride and adultery are just symptoms of the same cancer, and that cancer is sin. See, what we see in sin so many times, we see the fruit of sin, but we don't see the root of sin. We all got heart issues and heart problems. We all have a heart naturally born in us that's, that's far from God, and off of that heart blooms all kinds of things. And we want to look at it, and we want to say, yours is different than mine, therefore you're worse than me. And Jesus says, no, stop. Sin is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin. It's all sin. And it's all wrong. And God's serious about everything that he said about it. But it's not different. You're like, why would you bring that up? Because this is fast forward 2,000 years of the church. We have a bunch of religious people who maybe dress better and act more moral that want to stand around in circles and throw stones at people who really are in the end of it just like us. We want to run people down and we want to talk about people. And what we're really doing, and I'm not saying that's every person in this room, although we all have pride issues, that's a guarantee, and we all want to, want to get where we're going. And, and the best way to do that sometimes in our brain is to run other people over. It's not about the person, right? It's about where we're going. We're just using that person. And you're like, I don't believe that's true. Well, have you ever seen uh, anybody in the church fall? What do we do to those people? Shun them. We out, cast them out. You can't do this. You can't be here. You can't blah, 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 blah. And it's never what God intended for the church because sin is sin is sin. We pick certain sins. We say that's worse than this thing, and that's worse than this thing, and that's worse than this thing. And what we end up doing is we get in this little firing squad of people like-minded like us, and we start chucking rocks at people that, that maybe aren't like us. And what we need Jesus to do is step in the church and remind us that none of us are good. You might have been saved 92 years ago. you got a long way to go. Because the gulf between you and God is the same, right? You're on earth and he's in heaven and you ain't there and you're not perfect. You might be forgiven, but you are not perfect. And at no point in time is it ever our job to be Jesus' police force. These men thought, oh, you know, it's our job. God put that in the Word of God. You know, we'll go around and we'll just say, anybody that's not following it, we'll blast them. We'll let them have it. We will. But, man, I never saw where God signed us up for that in here. So he just reframes it. Yes, sin is a big deal. Yes, God means everything he says. And eventually, if this lady at the end of her life was still in a place where she was separated from God, then God would fulfill everything that God said about sin. But our job's not to fulfill it. That's God's job. So he just reframes it. You're all sinners. You can talk about whoever you want to, but you're not perfect, and somebody's going to talk about you. I just want to say that, by the way, if you get in little groups of people and talk about people, when you leave, those people talk about you. How do I know? Because when you leave, you talk about those people. 
factual information. People that talk about people just talk about people. It's what they do. It's the fruit of a wicked heart. But God put us here, what, to tear each other down? No, to build each other up and push people towards God. So here's these religious guys who want to throw rocks, and Jesus looks at them. He says, great, great idea. Let's throw rocks. But you can't throw rocks unless you're perfect. And the older guys realize pretty quickly, I think there's wisdom with age, and you realize as you get older that you've lived a life, and maybe you've done some things that are not great in that life. And the older guys are like, eh, I don't, okay, wasting our time here. And just drop the rocks and leave. And some of the younger guys who haven't figured it out yet see older guys who have taught them and who they've idolized and who are their heroes in the faith walk away and they think, man, if they're sinners, then I'm probably also just like them. I'm a sinner too. And everybody leaves. He says, then he stooped down again and he continued just drawing his picture of whatever he was doing. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men and It says that only he was left with the woman in the center. I don't know what that looks like, right? How how do you be in the center when it's only you and Jesus? I don't know. But when it's only you and Jesus, Jesus can make you feel like you're in the center. It was just Jesus and this woman left. And and the beauty of this, uh, I hope you don't miss it, there's one person who's hanging out who has the ability to throw a stone at this lady Because there's one person in the circle who's perfect. And he's still there. Everybody else is not Jesus. Everybody else is not God. Everybody else has flaws. Everybody else is messed up. But Jesus, he's perfect. He's never messed up. And he's still there. And all these people leave. And what's left is Jesus who is perfect. And this lady who is very not. And it says, when Jesus stood up after everybody walked off, he said to her, woman, where are they? Now, Jesus is not asking this because he doesn't know. He's been there the whole time. He wasn't so distracted by his drawing in the, in the dirt that he missed out on what just happened. He, he's saying this for the benefit of the lady. He's saying, where are they at? Has nobody left? Did everybody leave? Has no one condemned you? He's already reframed the situation for the men, but now he's got to reframe it for the lady. He says, where'd all those religious people go? All those people who a minute ago wanted to kill you, all those people who were self-righteous a minute ago and who thought they had it all together a minute ago, where did they go? Did nobody stick around to throw any rocks today? Is, is nobody here to, to throw any insults at you today? Is nobody here to harm you today? Is there nobody that could stand and say, I don't have any sin today? What's he doing? He's saying, lady, you, you're just like them. 
they're broken and they're sinful and they may wear the right thing and they may know the right words to say, but they're in a mess just like you're in a mess. They're, everybody's in a mess today. Here's this woman who was just made to feel so little and Jesus is saying, let's come back up from that a little. Let's come back up just a little. I'm not saying you're perfect and I'm not saying you're great, but I'm saying you're at least as good as the rest of these sinners. You're not any different. You saw every one of them just admit to you they're not perfect. They don't have a stone to throw. They're not different than you. They can't throw insults at you. They're just like you. Your fruit's different, but your root's the same. You're all sinners. Do you see it? And why is that important? Because if I said today to anybody in this room who feels like you're like a pretty big sinner, there'd be several of you that would raise your hand. I'd be one of you. I identify with, with some people in the Bible more than others. And I'll let you know, Paul, in a few moments, he just really captivates my attention when he says things like this. I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm like, bro, I got you. I, I feel that. See, the reality of it is the only difference in me and you and you and me is I'm standing up here and you're sitting down there. Because at the root of it, we're all broken people. We all have issues and problems and maybe what you've went through, maybe the fruit of yours is different looking than the fruit of mine. But I guarantee you, our hearts are all deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. And aside from Jesus, there is not one good thing, not one speck of righteousness in any of us. And this woman who's caught in adultery and probably lived that way for years and years and years and years and years and years. And really, it just compounds, right? Because once you already feel like you're horrible, you just keep being horrible because it's all you feel like you're capable of. I've already jacked it up this much. What, what more can I do, right? Have ever thought that? I'm never going to be that. I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be good. I'm never going to get to that standard. I cannot do it. So you just keep doing what you're doing. And Jesus here says, you're just like everybody else. They teach in synagogues. They're screwed up. Joe sits around and writes the Bible all day. Screwed up. Brad leads worship and preaches, screwed up. Nick preaches, screwed up. Right, brother? We're all screwed up. And his screwed up looks different than my screwed up. You should be thankful for that. But we're all screwed up. And Jesus says, this is the frame. You're all screwed up. But man, it's amazing because Jesus doesn't just leave the frame there. Right? Like if that was the message today, you're all screwed up, let's pray, amen, hallelujah, let's leave. <laughs> How hopeful. I'm thankful, by the way, that it's not just me. But man, the hope is not just that we're all hopelessly screwed up. Hope comes right after this. 
She says, nobody. No, no one, Lord. <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess we all are sinners. I, I guess it's kind of really the same after all, isn't it? And this is the most amazing words. He looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Ah, you know what? Me either. See, Jesus is the only perfect person standing in the circle. Jesus is the only person worthy to ever throw a stone at anybody because there's one person that's ever lived that's never sinned, and that guy's name was Jesus. And when they were passing out stones, right, like he got them all, and we got zero of them. And if we're going to be freed from it today, we all have to come to the basic reality that we are all screwed up and we're all sinners. You don't even know what to be saved from until you know you need saving, and we are all sinners, and that's what we need saved from. We need saved from us. We need somebody to come in and clip the root off the plant today. And Jesus, he could have looked at this lady and he said, oh, yeah, all those jokers are gone. But you're still horrible. And God is serious about sin. And God does say that you can be stoned. That's still true. And Jesus has the right to do so and to still be good because Jesus is God. When this lady was adulterating, she was doing it to Jesus. And he looks at her in his perfection, in his hurt, and he sees that she's a broken person. And he looks at her and he says, you know what? I forgive you. I didn't come to condemn you. You're already condemned, right? John 3, 17 God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but so the world through him might be saved. We were already condemned. He came to do something else. So here's this lady. Here's her sin. Jesus is aware. She has no defense. And he looks at her and he says, you know what? Forgiven. Forgiven. I don't condemn you either. And then he says this, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, what's he saying to that lady? You're not trapped here anymore. You don't have to just live in this perpetual thing that you're doing anymore. I've forgiven you, and now you're free to go live I've forgiven you. I'm aware of what you've done. I'm aware of your sin. I'm, a, I'm aware of what you've chosen. I'm, a, I'm aware of all that. I know your history. I know your baggage. I know, I, I know you, you think about you. I, I, I know all that stuff. I know it better than you know it. And right on top of it, I just want to say, forgive me. I just want to stamp that on there. Yeah, yeah, I know, adulterer, uh, forgiven. 
Yeah, I know. Biggest sinner in the town. Forgiven. Yeah, I know. Years and years, just forgiven. Forgiven. I could. I could throw a stone, but I don't, I don't want to. Forgiven. I just like go be free. I've cut the chains. And go be free. You're just like everybody else. You don't have to live in that. Go be free. You're, you're, you're broken just like everybody else. I'm trying to heal that. So you're forgiven. Go go be free. You don't have to go back down the street to, to that guy's house to get love. I, I just gave it to you. Go be free. You don't have to go back in the room with, with those guys to, to get acceptance. I, I just accepted you. Go be free. You don't have to look for all those things that God's already given you in this moment from other people. Go be free. I'm trying to plug back in the pieces of your brokenness is what he's doing. Because at the heart of it, like what's this lady looking for? Same thing we're looking for. Love, acceptance, feeling like we're worth something. People to care. What, what are the what are the Pharisees and the scribes looking for? At the heart of it, love. We want a crowd because a crowd makes me feel loved. I want a crowd because a crowd makes me feel important. I want a crowd because a crowd makes me feel like somebody cares. What, what are we looking for? We're looking for somebody to love us, and that's what Jesus does through the cross. What are we looking for? Acceptance, and that's what Jesus does through the cross. And he's looking at this lady, and he's like, you don't have to go searching for the pieces of your brokenness anymore. Your pieces of your brokenness are right here. And I'm trying to plug them in. So like, I'm, I'm setting you free now. And all the love and the worth and the value and the, the go, go live. And you're like, well, what does it have to do with forgiveness, Brad? What well, has this? Wouldn't it have been ridiculous? It's part of the story. If this lady would have then turned around to Jesus and she's like, I don't know if I can leave here. Do you remember what those men did to me? They like drug me here. And those men, like they, they, they put me in the center and they made me feel like I was worthless and they like used me. They, they did that and I don't know if I can leave here. She didn't stand in that moment and think one more thought about those men, did she? Like literally, the, the, the story the story's over. And you're like, well, what? Because in that moment, what Jesus did for her was greater than what anybody could do to her. And I just want you, if you don't get anything else today, like that's the story today. What Jesus has done for us is greater than what anybody could ever do to us. I'm not making light of anything we've went through or you've went through. I know some of you have went through horrible things, things that you would not even share. But even in that, like there's a power in the cross that's greater. What Jesus has done for us is greater than what anybody can do to us. And what Jesus is saying is you got to get up out of that moment. You got you to leave this place. Like you, you can't just keep being chained in this moment because you're never going to live in this moment. If you're always coming back to what they've done to you, if you're always coming back to like what they've said about you, if you're always coming back to this moment where, where they used you and broken people tried to, tried to make you broken even more, like if you always keep coming back to that, you can't live. And I'm trying to let you live. You got to leave to live. 
And the starting place of that is this, what God did for us on the cross, what Jesus has forgiven us from, the, the fact that he looked at us and everything we are, and he said, you know what, I'll take it. What he's done for us is greater than what anybody can do to us, what anybody will ever be able to do to us. And, and he's saying to you today, you're forgiven and you're free, so go be free. Let the chains drop today. I'll take care of the hurt. I can put the pieces back in. Everything you need is right here at the cross. Everything you need is hanging right here. All the love and forgiveness and acceptance and the healing, it's all right here. What's it say in the word of God? In, in Isaiah, it says, by his stripes we're healed. He was bruised, so we didn't have to be today. And if we'll just bring our bruises to him today, he'll heal them. What God has done for us is greater today than what anybody could ever do to us. And through the cross today, Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, I'm trying to set you free. Bring your brokenness to this tree. I'll put the pieces back because what I've got for you today is life. Go and live.